Hello, everybody, and we are back for our second episode of Lazy Boy Sports Podcast again. I am Ryan, my partner Paul, still out of town, still in Florida, still on vacation. We'll get him in here sooner or later. But for right now, it's just me, and I'm going to give you all the recent news. We're going to talk March Madness, Sweet 16, Elite 8 predictions, the teams that we believe will get to the Final Four. We will be talking about the Bucks, their struggles, where they're sitting right now, what we're looking at for them. Big game tonight for the Bucks. We'll see if, if they can get something going. A game tonight, they kind of have to get against the Clippers. We'll see if they can get that one coming off a loss to the LeBron James-led Cleveland Cavaliers. And if we have some time, we'll throw in some Packers quick. But first off, we're going to start off here with some college basketball. We are to the Sweet 16. It will begin tomorrow. We have Sweet 16 tomorrow and Friday, the Elite Eight Saturday and Sunday. So we're going to take you game by game through the Sweet 16, give you our predictions, kind of what what I see is going to happen, and then we might even go into the Elite Eight if we have time. The first match of tomorrow, tipping at 6.07 p.m. Central Time, Loyola Chicago and Nevada. Two teams that I don't think anyone thought would be here. Two teams that honestly have looked the part so far. You talk about Loyola. It's kind of a band of brothers. It's nine, ten guys who come together. They play as one. They're just a really good ball club, and I don't think anyone really knew about them. You know, first game we saw Dante Ingram hit the game winner from three. He averages 11.5 a game. The second game, Clayton Custer hits the game winner. He averages 13.3. They have five players who average double figures, double figures, Custer Ingram, Andre Jackson, Marquise Towns, Cameron Crutwig. You talk about Ben Richardson only averages 6.4, but he kind of runs the show there, averages 30 minutes a night. And then Lucas Williamson, 4.8, but he still gets 20 minutes a night. This is a team, they have depth. They have the guys that can do it. And I said it on our last podcast, they kind of play that Virginia type of defense. You know, it's a pack line defense. It's a defense that is going to make you do what you don't want to do. We saw it in both games, Miami and Tennessee, two athletic teams, two teams that want to get to the rim, want to shoot from the outside. But what Loyola did was make both Miami and certainly Tennessee. I watched that whole game, and Tennessee was out of rhythm the whole game. What they made them do was shoot 15 to 20 footers. That's not what Tennessee wants to do. It's not a team that's great at shooting the mid-range shot. You talk about Admiral Schofield, Grant Williams. Two physical guys. Emeril Schofield can step out and shoot the three, but he's big, he's just athletic, and he's burly. He wants to get into the lane, and he wants to shoot from three. What Loyola did to them was make them shoot those mid-range shots, really made it difficult, and Tennessee found no rhythm in the game. Now, they were able to take the lead in the last couple minutes of the game. Loyola came back and won. But for 37 minutes of that game, Loyola kept Tennessee on their heels and made it very hard for Tennessee to really do anything. Talking about Nevada. They've had a weird way to get here. They beat Texas by four and overtime trailed by 14 in the second half. Then in the second round, they take on Cincinnati down by 22 with 10 minutes left, looked all but dead. And Eric Musselman basically said, all right, we're going with our five players. You guys are going to trap. You're going to pressure and we're going to make Cincinnati try to turn the ball over. Well, Cincinnati didn't really turn the ball over, but they just didn't get good shots. Nevada ends the game on a 32 to eight run. 
and wins by two on a game-winning bucket from Josh Hall with six seconds left. You talk about it, Nevada was out-rebounded by 20 rebounds in the first 30 minutes. They out-rebounded Cincinnati 14-7 to in the final 10 minutes. And how did Nevada make this comeback? Yes, they made shots. Yes, they got good looks, and yes, they rebounded the ball, but they turned it over just two times. They were able to hand onto the ball and get shots. It's one thing when you're not making shots. It's another when you're not even getting a shot up and you're turning the ball over. Nevada was getting shots every possession. They just weren't making shots. And when they didn't make shots, it allowed Cincinnati to get out and run. And Cincinnati's not a running team, but if you allow a team to get out and run and they get three on twos and four on threes, any team's going to run. Wisconsin will run. You got to have the numbers. And Cincinnati had the numbers, and they kept getting look after look. Jaron Cumberland was throwing down threes. Gary Clark was getting every rebound at this side of the Mississippi. And Nevada really didn't have an answer. Well, Cumberland got in foul trouble. Kendall Stevens started hitting threes. Caleb Martin, who's basically playing on one foot, for those of you that don't know, he has a Liz Frank fracture in his foot, and he hasn't practiced for about two months. And every time that they're not playing, he has a boot on his foot. So he doesn't even wear a shoe until they play. So he's basically playing on one foot, and he's leading the way. Cody Martin, who hit about 10 threes all year, hits a three to give Nevada to cut it down to four at one point in that game. I mean, it, it was just a game where it felt so over, and all of a sudden, in a snap of a finger, you saw it. Nevada was down 19, down 16, 14. The next thing you know, it's 10 in Cincinnati's calling timeout. And you, you think when they call timeout, they come out, they get a bucket. Well, there it is. Cincinnati's back up and going. But no, Nevada just continues to climb back into it. They got bucket after bucket, and they didn't turn the ball over. And that was the huge thing. You know, they, they weren't making their shots early. That's, you know, that's one thing. You're not going to make every shot. But they just didn't turn the ball over. So finally, when their shots started going in, they're able to come back in the game. They forced Cincinnati into tough shots. They started trapping them. And when you start trapping a team, you know, they're going to get open looks. Cincinnati got open 15, 18 footers. When you're wide open and you're up by 10, but the game was 22 and the other team's coming back, it starts to get a little tougher to make those shots. And we saw it with Cincinnati. I think they got tight. They started to struggle with it. The next thing you know, Nevada's within a two-possession game. And once that happened, I think Cincinnati just kind of froze up. Jaron Cumberland picked up his fifth foul. They lost him. He was their best player all game. And once they lost him, I think Cincinnati just kind of lost control of what they were doing. And, you know, give Nevada credit. Give Eric Musselman credit. And I'm going to give Eric Musselman a lot of credit. The guy used to coach in the NBA. You watch Nevada's games. It, it, it's, it's a lot of NBA sets. It's a lot of stuff you see an NBA team run. And he does a great job of running their offense. They don't have a guy taller than 6'8". You know, Caleb Martin, Jordan Carolina, and Cody Martin, they're both 6'6", 6'7", 6'8". They're all going to guard guards. They're all going to guard the biggest guy on the team. But what they do on offense is move those guys around. You know, Jordan Caroline, he, he's a big bully, but he can also shoot a three. And Eric Musselman does a great job of spacing those guys out, switching them around, and getting them open looks. And we saw it in the second half. You know, once those guys can get going, they get the ball to Kendall Stevens because he finally gets open. And Kendall Stevens is a knockdown shooter. You know, he's going to hit threes, 44% on the year. So we saw it against Cincinnati. They're able to come back now. This matchup against Loyola gets interesting. 
you talk about it, Loyola is going to pack the paint. They're going to cut off passing lanes. They're going to make it tough for Nevada. And, and I think Nevada's in an okay spot here, though. We, we saw the first two games they struggled on offense in the first half. But with that, they are playing teams that could score the ball pretty well. Now they're going up against a Loyola team. Not saying they don't score the ball well, but this is not a Loyola team that wants to score 70 a game. They want to keep it in the 50s and 60s, which is why I think even if Nevada comes out and struggles on offense like they have, struggles to get in their flow like I think they will because of the Loyola defense, I think they'll be okay because at some point they've got playmakers. They have guys who can get to the rim. They have guys who can score. And they have Caleb Martin who can go get a shot anytime he needs to. It's going to be a good game. I think it's going to come down to the final two minutes. I think in the last minute, Caleb Martin, Cody Martin, one of the two Martins is going to hit a big shot. And I think that's going to be the difference. I think Nevada squeaks by Loyola. I think it's a four or five point win. But I think it's a really good game for two teams we didn't expect to be here. But a game that I think a lot of people are actually looking forward to. Next game up at 637, Texas A&M and Michigan. Two teams that are kind of playing in opposite directions. Texas A&M is playing as good as they've played all year. And they've been really good. They started the year 8-0 or 9-0. They were ranked fifth at one point. And they have dudes. They have Tyler Davis and they have Robert Williams down low. Robert Williams is a lottery pick. I don't know how many of you guys have seen Texas A&M play or see Robert Williams play. This guy can jump out of the building. And he's finally playing to his potential. Him and Tyler Davis, for some reason... For 40 minutes of a game, they'll shut off for 10 to 15 minutes of it. And, and it's really hard to watch sometimes. But they've been on this whole tournament for 80 minutes. And they, it showed against UNC. UNC had no answer for them inside. Luke May could not do anything. I thought he was going to be a huge part of that game, a huge reason why UNC was going to win. He was useless in the game. And now they got here and they faced Michigan. Who you talk about Michigan has not played well through two games. They played so well in the Big Ten tournament. A lot of people were worried about that weak layoff and not playing. I think it caught up to them. But I think for Michigan, is it's new life. They easily could have lost through those first two games. I know they beat Montana by 13, but it wasn't pretty. They should have lost to Houston. They need a last-second Jordan Poole. He, from 30 feet away, hitting a three to win it. They should have lost to Houston. Houston should be playing this game. But that's that's for another day. Give Michigan credit. They've hung around in those two games. They pulled away from Montana late. They had a late big three from Jordan Poole. But now it's a different monster, and I think now we're going to see Michigan take that step. I think now they have two games under their belt, and I think they came in in those first two games a little timid. I think they knew they had a lot going I think they knew they were playing so well. A lot of people picking them to the Final Four, even the championship, even to win it. And I think there was a lot of pressure on them. Now, I think they can play a little looser, and I think you're going to see that. And I think a big thing is going to be Mo Wagner. First game against Montana, couldn't make a shot. Second game against Houston, fumble trouble all game. He's going to have to be huge in this game against Robert Williams and Tyler Davis. And the one thing I think he can do that we haven't seen, and I know Luke May could do this, but he didn't make shots, is Mo Wagner's going to step out of that three-point line, and he's going to make threes. And Tyler Davis and Robert Williams, they don't want to be out there. They want to stand by the rim, and they want to block your shot when you get in there. Well, Michigan is a three-point shooting team. And unlike UNC, where Theo Pinson kind of runs the show there and he likes to get inside, the Michigan guards are fine playing on the edge. 
And I think that's where Texas A&M is going to struggle. Texas A&M has struggled to put three games, three straight games together all season since the first month. And I just think Michigan's going to come out. They're going to have a new attitude. I think Wagner comes out and has a big game. I think he goes 20-plus in this one. I think he gets close to 10 rebounds. I think he really holds his own inside. And I think Joe Teske gives them 15 really strong minutes in this game and really holds his own inside. And I think Michigan wins this game. I don't think they run away with it, but I think they can cover the two-and-a-half-point spread. I think it's a five, six, seven-point win for Michigan. Now, later, we have Kansas State and Kentucky. This game will be played after the Loyola-Nevada game. Look, Kansas State, they should be happy to be here. They got by Creighton. I thought they'd lose that one. They got by UMBC. It wasn't pretty. But Kansas State, what they rely on is their toughness and their defense. And they're going to run into a Kentucky team who's playing really hot, is really long, really athletic, and I think can smell blood in the water. Look, John Calipari complained when the brackets came out that they had a tough draw, Arizona, Virginia. Calipari does it every year. It's whatever. It's Calipari. I'm not a huge fan of Calipari. He needs to stop complaining. But finally, the basketball gods are on his side. And I think he can sense it. And judging off how Kentucky played their first two games, especially against Buffalo, I think he's got his players sensing it as well. Look, Kentucky's young. That's a lot of freshmen. But they're good. And, and Kevin Knox from 15 feet on the baseline, he hits every shot. He did it against Buffalo. He makes everything. He can throw it up on one foot with his opposite hand. He's going to make it. It just goes in. I don't see how Kansas State slows them down. And then I don't see how Kansas State scores enough. Kansas State uses their toughness. Kentucky's way too athletic, way too long for this team. And I'm not a big Kentucky fan. But they smell blood in the water right now. And Kansas State's just staying in their way. Now, Dean Wade practiced today. It'll be interesting to see if he plays. If he does play, how much, how uh, how healthy he is. Even if he does play, which I think he will. I don't think he makes that huge of a difference. He's going to help them. Lean score averages 16.5 a game, 6.5 rebounds. It's big. I think he helps them enough to keep it in the game. But I think Kentucky's going to pull away at the end, much like we saw them do against Buffalo. I think they win this game by 10, 11 points. They cover that five-and-a-half-point spread. Last game of the night on Thursday at 9.07 p.m. Central Time, 30 minutes after the Michigan-Texas A&M game ends, Florida State-Gonzaga. This is interesting. Um, Florida State has athletes. They have players. They're good. They could make a run. Don't get me wrong. But Gonzaga just feels like they're going to start to bust loose here. Zach Norvell has been so good. Rui Hachimura. Oh, my goodness. This kid's a freshman. Wait till he is a junior at Gonzaga. This kid's going to be a stun. 20-plus last game. Five rebounds, five blocks. The thing that Florida State had against Xavier is athleticism. Length inside. Gonzaga's got Rui Hachimura, who's got length and size. They have Jonathan Williams, who not only has size, but he's a senior. He's going to understand how to play against that. And I've been waiting for this kid to break through in the first two games. He hasn't. I think it comes tomorrow. Killian Tilly. 
seven foot, big who's going to step out. He's going to shoot five to six threes a game when he's feeling good. He shot two in the first two games, each missed all four of his shots. He's going to break through sooner or later, and I think it comes tonight. I think it comes Thursday. Killian Tilly is an unbelievable player when he's on. The kid's going to step out. He can shoot it. I think he goes 20-plus. I think he hits three to four threes. I think he's the difference in this game. The spread at five and a half right now, I, th- that's a tough cover for Gonzaga. I think the only reason they would cover it is free throws late. I think this game is much like we saw with Gonzaga and Ohio State. I think Gonzaga gets off going early. I think Florida State climbs back into it. I think it's a teetaw, a seesaw teeter battle in the second half. And I think Gonzaga hits some free throws. That I think they get a big shot from one of their players, whether it's Norvell, Tilly, or Josh Perkins. I think they get a big shot to get you know a four or five point lead, and I think they hang out with free throws. I think it's about that four or five six point game. But I think Gonzaga gets it done. And then if I'm picking the Elite Eight in Nevada against Kentucky, I am going to take Nevada. I, I I think something about that team. Look, Kentucky's tough to beat, but there's something about the Martin twins. There's something about them I really like. I think they're good. I think they can get it done. I think Nevada's going to get to the Final Four. And then Michigan, Gonzaga, that's tough. I think it comes down to Wagner and Tilly. I I think they both get hot Thursday, and they go into that game Saturday, and I think it comes down to who plays better. And I'm going to lean – right now I'm leaning Gonzaga because they've played a little better than Michigan – and, and there are other pieces other than Tilly have played a little better than Michigan's have without Wagner. But if Michigan comes out against Texas A&M and shows their muscle, I would take Michigan. But at this moment, I'm leading Gonzaga. And then if I'm picking a Final Four, Gonzaga against Nevada, I would take Nevada. I think whoever comes out of that bottom left region, I think is going to get past, whether it's Nevada or Kentucky. I think Gonzaga and Michigan, one of those two come out. I think they're better than both those teams. Quick look ahead to Friday here. The first game on slate, Clemson, Kansas. This is a doozy. Look, Clemson lost Dante Grantham about halfway, 60% through the year. They went 7-6 and six after he left. 1-1 one and one in the conference tournament. And they played New Mexico State in the first round. I make my own bracket every year. I had New Mexico State beating them. I had New Mexico State winning two games. I felt really good about New Mexico State. But has Clemson surprised me? And look what they did to Auburn. They ran them out of the building. And, again, they did to Auburn what Loyola did to Tennessee and what you have to do, I think, to SEC teams. I, the SEC is an athletic, bruising man's league where you're not going to shoot a lot of threes. Like Kentucky, their first game against Davidson, they didn't make a three. Everyone thinks it's a three-point league. You can win without making threes, and the SEC showed it this year. But if you run them off the three-point line – you basically make a wall in the paint and you don't allow teams to get in the paint. You can stop them if they're shooting 15, 18 footers. And that's what Clemson did to Auburn. They made them take contested threes and they made them take mid-range shots and they didn't make them. Now, Kansas is another animal. Devontae Graham, Udoka Azabuki is going to be a little healthier. Look, this is going to be a heck of a game. This spread right now, four and a half. I don't know if Kansas does cover that. It's going to be close. I think it's a four, five, six-point game. I think Kansas gets them. I just think Devontae Graham is on a mission. He's kind of having that year like we saw with Mario Chalmers. Um, He's having that Wayne Selden run right now. 
I think Devontae Graham does enough, and I think Kansas squeaks by Clemson. The second game on Friday, West Virginia Villanova, tip time 627 Central Time. I think this is the best game we're going to get out of the Thursday-Friday games. I think a lot of people are looking forward to the Nevada-Loyola game. I think Villanova-West Virginia is the best game we're going to get. And here's why. Villanova's got players. They've got Jalen Brunson. They've got Mikhail Bridges. They have guys who can handle this pressure. But West Virginia, in my opinion, through the first weekend, has the best player in college basketball that's still left, and that's Javon Carter. 28 points, five assists, five steals against Marshall. Now, Marshall's not Villanova, but give Javon Carter credit. The kid's playing out of his mind. He's on another level right now. And the thing that scares me about West Virginia is I know Villanova can play fast and they're fine with him. They got good guards, but West Virginia speeds everyone up. I don't care how fast you play. You can play 100 miles per hour. West Virginia is going to speed you up. The thing with Villanova is Jalen Brunson's done done this before. He's been here. Phil Booth has done this before. He's been here. And we've seen West Virginia in games get into foul trouble. And when your best free throw shooters are your guards, like Villanova's is with Brunson, with Booth, with DiVincenzo, when your best free throw shooters are your guys handling the ball, West Virginia runs into a bit of an issue. And I think they're going to get that in this game. I think it's really close. The spread is five. I, I think West Virginia can keep it within five. It's going to be a good game. It's going to be really close. But I think in the end, I think it's Jalen Brunson. I think it's Phil Booth. And I think it's Dante DiVincenzo. I think they do enough. I think Javon Carter has a Hercules-like effort to keep West Virginia in this game. But I think Villanova does enough, and I think Villanova beats West Virginia. After the first game of Clemson-Kansas will come Syracuse-Duke. Syracuse wasn't even supposed to be in this tournament. Syracuse wasn't supposed to beat Arizona State in the playing game. Syracuse wasn't supposed to beat Tennessee or TCU. Syracuse wasn't even supposed to beat Michigan State. Michigan State was supposed to win it all. But Syracuse is here, and now they get Duke. And it's going to be a battle of the zones. That's why I think Duke wins. Look, Duke plays the same zone that Syracuse plays, and you wonder how they can play it the same way. It's not the exact same way. You watch Syracuse play their zone, they have so much length in their guards. Their guards are long. Tyus Battle, Frank Howard, O'Shea Brissett, those guys are long. They have long arms. And I think that's where Michigan State struggled. Michigan State settled for a lot of threes. I mean, Bridges shot 12 threes. That's not he wants to do. He wants to use his athleticism and get to the rim. Syracuse forced him to shoot a lot of threes. Now, Duke has shooters, but they also have Bagley. Michigan State doesn't have Marvin Bagley. And this kid's supposed to be a senior in high school. He should honestly be in the NBA. But they have Bagley, and it's going to be tough for Syracuse to shut him down. I think Duke's going to understand how to play against his zone because they play it themselves, and you talk about how they know it. Krzyzewski and Beheim, they talk. They're good friends, and they coach together at the USA level. And that's where Krzyzewski has learned this zone, and he's taken some of those, those blueprints and brought it into his team. And I think right now Duke's on a mission this year. They have the best talent. Everyone knew it at the beginning of the year. They just couldn't play any defense. They've gone to the zone, and they're, they're not world beaters now with this defense. But this zone has been better, and I think they've figured it out. Look what they did to Rhode Island. 
Rhode Island, a group of seniors who a lot of people thought could be a six or five seed this year and make a run in the Final Four. Duke took them to the pen and just ripped them. The spread is 11. That's a lot. I think Duke covers it. I, th- I kind of think they run away with this game against Syracuse, especially in the second half. I think this is a 15, 16-point win for Duke. I don't think Syracuse can stay with it, and I don't know how they handle Bagley. Last game of the night, Texas Tech in Purdue. This is also going Fridays. Thursday's games are kind of about the Cinderella teams, the teams that we didn't think were going to get there. Friday's games, I think, are more chalk, more of the teams we thought they'd get there, and I think we're going to get really good games. And it's going to end with a really, really good one, Texas Tech-Purdue. Purdue lost Isaac Haas, and it's going to play into a little bit, but they still have Harms. Harms isn't Isaac Haas, but he's big. He'll be fine inside. They're going to miss Haas a little bit. But what they're going to miss is someone to guard Keenan Evans. And every team has missed someone to guard Keenan Evans this year. The kid's playing with a broken big toe. And still, through two games, no one's been able to stop him. And I don't think anyone stops him this game. And I talked about it last podcast that you can have a good big, like Purdue has Haas, Duke has Bagley, Arizona had Aiton. You can have a good big, but when you get to March, guards win in March. Why do you think Arizona's at home? The rest players hate. They don't have a guard who can take over the game. Why do you think Michigan State's at home? Their best player is Bridges. They face the zone. They don't have a guard who can take over the game. Why do I think Duke's going to beat Syracuse? Yeah, they got Bagley. He's good. He's probably going to have a, have a hell of a game. But they've got Gary Trent Jr., and shoot the lights out of the ball. Most importantly, I don't love them. I don't like them. I actually hate them a lot, but they have Grayson Allen. The kid's pretty good. The kid can shoot from 30 with ease. Why do I think Texas Tech covers the one-and-a-half-point spread but also straight-up beats Purdue? Because they got Keenan Evans. People don't see a lot of Texas Tech. They play late. They're not a household name. They don't have a lot of big-name players, but they got Keenan Evans. And don't get me wrong, Keenan Evans isn't all they got. They got Zaire Smith. The kid's a 6'6 freshman. If you haven't seen him play, the kid can jump to the roof. You got Zach Smith, 6'10", 6'11 freshman. The kid can body up with anyone. But they have Keenan Evans, and I, I don't see how Purdue slows him down, let alone stops him. Yes, they're going to miss Haas. They're going to miss that rebounding. They'll, they'll miss it with the athleticism and size of Texas Tech because Texas Tech is going to body up arms and make it hard for him. But Carson Edwards isn't going to stop Keenan Evans. I don't know if they're going to try to put Vincent Edwards on him, get that length, but he's going to drive right around Vincent Edwards. They don't have an answer for Keenan Evans. I think Texas Tech wins. And if I look to the lead eight, I make the prediction, Kansas-Duke. Like I said, I think Duke's on a mission. And it's hard for me to pick against Devontae Graham right now. Devontae Graham is on a roll. The kid is really good. But I think Duke's on a mission. And then Villanova, Texas Tech. I think Villanova does enough. They get past Keenan to Texas Tech, Villanova, Duke. It's hard to say. I know I said Duke's on a mission, but I think Villanova's on the same mission. But, again, it's guard play. 
It's Jalen Brunson. It's Phil Booth. Against Grayson Allen, Gary Trent Jr., Trayvon Duvall. I think Duke gets past Villanova. And I think it does come down because Bagley is really good, but the guard play for Duke is so good. They're they're on a mission. I I watched them against Rhode Island, and, man, did they look good. And I'm a betting man. I, I bet Rhode Island in the spread in that game. The spread was 10.5. I thought that is way too big. Rhode Island's got a bunch of seniors. They're going to figure out how to play against the zone. They're going to test Duke. They did. It wasn't close. They had no chance. Duke's on a mission, and then I think we got a Duke-Gonzaga Final Four or Duke-Michigan, whoever comes out of that bottom half. Right now, I'm leaning Gonzaga. Duke's on a mission. I think they get it done this year. The way these teams are playing right now, there's nobody playing better than Duke. Things are going to change. Teams are going to show up differently this weekend. You get a week to practice. But I just think Duke right now, the way these teams have been playing – I think Duke gets it done. They're playing so well. So there's my predictions again. Again, I will give you them. Nevada beating Loyola. I think it's a close game. A couple free throws at the end. I think Nevada wins. I think Michigan gets past Texas A&M. I think Kentucky rolls Kansas State. And I got Gonzaga beating Florida State in a close battle. Kansas will get by Clemson. Villanova ekes by West Virginia just barely. I think Duke handles Syracuse pretty easily. I think Texas Tech gets the upset of Purdue. Those games will be Thursday, Friday with the Elite Eight, Saturday, Sunday, and then the Final Four and National Championship game next weekend. We're going to shift gears here for a little bit, about 10, 15 more minutes here. We're going to talk about the Bucs. And I know we talked before the Cleveland game, talked about Kevin Love being back. 124-117. We're to the point now with the Bucks that they're not going to play any defense. You know, um, it's just simple. They're, they're not bringing the defense this year. And I think a lot of people thought when they made the switch from kid to prunty that things were going to get better. They were going to get better defensively. It hasn't. It's it's actually gotten worse. I think when they fired Kid, Kid took their defense with them. And there's just no defense. And when you think about that second unit, it's not getting any better either. Because it's Parker, it's Don Maker, and it's Brandon Jennings. Three guys who either can't play defense or don't want to play defense. And it's hard for them to play defense. And we're getting to the point now where the Bucs may lose their pick to the Suns in the Eric Bledsoe trade. Something we didn't think would happen. Because if they finish in the 8th or 7th spot, they're probably going to. And we're getting to the point where they're, they've taken a step back from last year. I mean, I think a lot of people thought this could be a 50-win ball club. Now, I didn't I didn't go that high. I thought 45 to 48, and they still could get there. That 45 to 48 wins is still very much in reach. But we're getting to the point where they didn't hire a coach after they fired Kid. And I, I, I was one of the people who said I thought they should fire Kid, but I'm not sure it should happen in season. Cause now we're getting to the end of the year. We're down to the final fifteen games for the Bucks. I think they have twelve left. And we're looking at a wasted year. 
it's basically a wasted season. We basically threw away one of Giannis's years and said, you know what, we're going to throw this year away. We're going to get a six, seven, eight seed. We're going to lose in the first round, and we're going to start all over next year. Well, what good is that? Giannis, Giannis is only staying around if the Bucks can get better, and they've shown no reason to get better. And I'm going to say it till they get a four, five, three seed, even maybe a two. They should be there. Like, there's no reason. You look at the standings. There's no reason they should be behind the Pacers. The Pacers are not better than the Bucks, But according to the standings, they're three and a half games better. The 76ers aren't better than the Bucks, But according to the standings, they're two and a half games better. And by golly, the Heat are not better than the Bucks. But for some reason, the Bucs can't beat the Heat. Right now, they're half a game worse. The Bucs are just lucky that when the Pistons traded for Blake Griffin, that things aren't working out or else they'd be very close to not making the playoffs. And right now, the way the standings are, if they finish eighth, they're going to play the Raptors in the first round. And we all know the Bucs can't beat the Raptors four out of seven games. It, it's so, just starting to get frustrating, and there's no real answer to it. Um, news came out yesterday that in the offseason, the Bucks might look at Kevin McHale, Monty Williams, Fizdale, even maybe Rick Pitino, and then the Bucks came out and denied all that. Look, I get it. You don't want things to come out. You still want Prunty to believe he's the coach and he's a coach long-term. But the first mistake they did was fire kid midseason. They should have let Kid finish out the year and then moved on from him in the offseason. Because as the moment they fired Kid, they basically threw the season away, and the Bucs are throwing the season away. For how much length they have, they don't play defense. You watch on offense. I, I love Bledsoe. I love that trade. I thought Brandon Bledsoe was really good. When he drives, if he doesn't get a layup, it's basically him jumping in the air, closing his eyes, and tossing the pass behind him and hoping somebody's there. And half the time, someone is because sometimes they're just in the right spot. But you talk about the guys they bring in. John Henson's giving them nothing. You know what? I don't, I'm to the point now, especially in a game against Cleveland where Cleveland's big as Kevin Love, that's a great opportunity for the Bucks to play Giannis at the five. Like, I'd much rather Giannis be guarding Kevin Love than John Henson. Because Kevin Love is going to shoot threes, and John Henson can't guard him on the three-point line. And the only thing John Henson's going to be better at the Kevin Love is when John Henson's on offense. And John Henson doesn't give you offense. So you know what? Put Giannis at the five. Go small along with the Cavs. And I, I get you want Giannis to guard LeBron James. But why? Just let him guard Kevin Love. Nobody can guard LeBron James and stop him. So just have Tony Snell guard him or someone else. I don't know. But no one's going to stop him. He had a triple-double against Giannis. LeBron had 35 points after three. They weren't stopping him either way. It's just frustrating. Like We, we like to think the Bucs are taking steps forward. But they haven't this year. 
And I'm not saying they've taken a step back, but it hasn't gotten better. And firing Kin midseason didn't help that. Now, just a quick look ahead tonight. They got L.A. tip off at 7. That's a game they got to have. They have to win it. They're sitting 37-33, and 33, half a game back of the 7th spot. Unless they ultimately collapse, they're going to make the playoffs. That's not a question. The big question is, who are they going to play and where are they seated? The interesting thing now, I want to throw this out there quick. Kyrie Irving's going to get a second opinion on his knee. Look, he's had knee issues. And he sat on a couple games, came back and played, and was not near the same. So he's been sitting out again, and he's going to get a second opinion. A lot of times when you get a second opinion, you're either worried or they've already been aware that there's something bad and they want to make sure that it's that bad or they want to see if the first doctor's wrong. And neither of those things are good. So if you're the Bucs, you almost rather match up with Boston and hope that even if Kyrie plays in the playoffs, which I think he will, he's not going to be 100%. You're dealing with a team with Kyrie and kids. You know, you have Al Horford. He's okay. He's not going to score a ton. But Jalen Brown, Jamal Tatum, they're good. But they're kids. They've never been here. They're kids. I'd much rather face them than the Raptors or the Cavs. I still think the Cavs are coming out of the East. Like I said last podcast, in a seven-game series, LeBron's winning two games himself. Like, LeBron is a he's, – he's winning two games. Against the team that they match up against or the team is barely better, other than the Warriors and the Rockets, LeBron's winning two games. You're telling me that Kevin Love, Larry Nance Jr., Jeff Green, those guys with LeBron can't win two more out of five? Yeah, they can. They will. So I think the Cavs are coming out of the East. I think they're facing the Rockets, and the Rockets are winning it. But the Bucks have to put something together here in these last two months. and they got to show something. Otherwise, it's another lost year. And it's almost another year where you say, well, it was a good effort. We just couldn't do it. And we almost wasted it when we fired Kip. Because we took the defense with it. I want to thank you guys for tuning in live on Periscope. Our second podcast is in the books. Paul should be back with us soon. He will be back this weekend. We'll see when we want to do our next podcast. Hopefully very soon. It should be before the Elite Eight game, or it should be before the Final Four, so we'll get you after the seats. You've seen Elite Eight games. We'll talk about those. We'll see where the Bucks are sitting after a couple more games. And we'll see if the Packers make some moves and who they're likely to draft in the upcoming NFL draft. Thank you, guys. Have a great night. And tune in next time.